the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Your word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the Word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to The Word to Stand On for Life. My name is Pastor Ken Cruzado. Today, we're welcoming you to the Friday edition of the show. So let me quickly explain, if you're a regular listener here, why I'm on the air. Pastor Ron and Pastor Elaine are at a conference in Northern California. So today, they'll be there. They'll be there actually throughout the weekend. Pastor Ron will be speaking at Calvary Chapel, Fremont, on Sunday, and then he'll be returning back here to be right on the show uh, on Monday afternoon. In the meantime, I get to fill in for today's show. The show doesn't change. We take your Bible questions, questions about doctrine, questions about the Word of God, what the Word of God means, and how to put it into practice in your life. Really, that's where the rubber meets the road, and we want to help. We want Ultimately, our goal is this. We want to help you fall deeper in love with Jesus. And as you get to know him through the word, your lives will change. So with that, the phone numbers, I'll give you that right away. 210-340-9585. That's 210-340-9585. The toll-free number is 877-630-5757. That's 877-630-5757. We have an email address if you want to submit questions that way. And it's questions at calvarysa.com. Again, questions at calvarysa.com. You can submit questions through our church mobile app. And you can also call into the show using the KSLR mobile app. Just hit the banner up at the top that says call now. You'll be connected, especially helpful if you're in your car and you don't need to fidget with your phone. You can do it that way. Okay, I said this is the Friday edition. That means here, quick programming note, here at the church at Calvary Chapel, it is our New Testament study night. And since Pastor Ron is out of town, tonight we have Pastor Juan Ortiz filling in. And he'll be teaching out of 2 Timothy. That begins at 7 p.m. tonight here at Calvary Chapel. I do want to make a a quick mention since uh, Paula has been mentioning this, uh, or Pastor Ron has been mentioning this also. And this is an invitation to a couple of things that are going on here tomorrow. So at the church here, we have Saturday morning prayer. That's at 9.30. That's a regular thing. But after that, we have two... Things that are not normal, and these are things that uh, were mentioned here on the radio for the radio listening audience, and if you feel led by the Lord to participate, you're more than welcome to join us here Calvary Chapel on Saturday, this is tomorrow, at 10 a.m. We are having our annual women's clothing exchange, and that's a great time of fellowship with the ladies. Uh, we always say, come and get clothes. You don't have to bring clothes to get clothes. But the most important thing about that is not only the clothes, but it's the fellowship 
of uh, being around other like-minded women. That's at 10 o'clock here on Saturday, tomorrow. In the afternoon, there's another special thing that's going on, and this is the father-daughter dance. We also have this once a year, and this is at 5 p.m., 5 p.m. here, also at the church. Fathers, take your daughters and just come join us for a great time of fellowship together. And father-daughter dance again here, 5 p.m. at Calvary Chapel. That's tomorrow. Last thing I'll say is this. So Pastor Ron sends his love. He and Pastor Elaine, like I'd mentioned earlier, are in Northern California for a pastor's conference. Uh, but there's an update. And so Pastor Ron has safely landed. They are there in Northern California, but it's very cold. And Pastor Ron doesn't like the cold. So he's a little bit out of his element. And when they landed, uh, Pastor Elaine gave me a call and said, change of plans. It turns out that the weather has affected the conference and the conference is actually canceled. And so what Pastor Ron will be doing is teaching tonight at the church, Calvary Fremont. So uh, he'll be there, and then the, the schedule will continue normally on Sunday where he'll, he'll be teaching there and then flying back. The one good thing out of this, because change of schedule is always a challenging thing, but the one good thing is this, Pastor Ron will be in a nice, warm hotel room. And I'm sure he appreciates that. <laughs> Pastor Ron, we love you. And can't wait for you to get back. In the meantime, let's move on with the show. I gave you guys the phone numbers. We do have a couple of questions submitted, just a couple. So if you have any questions, please feel free to call in. Our first one is from Janet. Matthew, verse, the chapter 2, verse 18, references Jeremiah and how Rachel's weeping for her children because they were no more. Elsewhere in the Old Testament, when David's son with Bathsheba died, he said, he will not come to me, but I will go to him. So he had an idea of how his child was going to be with God. How did David know this? Was this a spiritual discernment only given to David that wasn't given to others? Janet, thank you for your question. So let me separate these two ideas because I think your question is implying that in Matthew chapter 2, which is a reference to Jeremiah, Jeremiah 31, when Rachel's weeping for her children and it specifically says that they were no more, it's a different meaning than what's implied there with King David and his, his child with Bathsheba. So here in Matthew chapter 2, the context is this. Remember, this is the context of Herod killing the two-year-olds and younger because this is after the time that he had realized from the Magi that were looking for the Messiah, that the Messiah had been born. And so Matthew referencing here Jeremiah 31, which is referring to when the nation of Israel was mourning when Babylon conquered Jerusalem in 586. And it was during this brutal massacre where children were being killed at the hands of non-Jews. Now, the statement there from Jeremiah 31 that says, because they were no more, and Rachel weeping because they were no more. It, it doesn't contradict what King David said when King David said, I will go and be with him and he won't come back to me. It simply means that these kids at the time of the Babylonian conquering, they, they, they were simply dead. And, and more specifically, more practically, Janet, it means that Rachel was weeping or the that Israel was weeping for her children because they couldn't hug them anymore. They couldn't be with them anymore. That's what it means when it says, because they were no more. It does not mean that they were forever gone and banished and annihilated and uh, no longer to 
no longer in any presence, um, if that's what you're implying. It simply means that the, the babies were no longer around, and, and Rachel's weeping is indicative of the pain that they suffered because they couldn't hug their children anymore. So it doesn't contradict what King David was saying when David would say at the death of his child that he was going to be with the child and that the child wasn't going to come back. Now, how did David know? It had to have been spiritual discernment. Um, This is because there really is no reference to this other than David saying this when his child died. But this would be something that, remember, he didn't have the Holy Spirit the way we do. But he he did know that his God, the God of Israel, was a just God. And he would not hold the children accountable to things that they didn't know. know, Some would call it the, the age of accountability and whatever it may be. But this is simply a reference to God's character. He's not going to punish those that uh, those babies who had no ability to choose whether they wanted to believe in God or not. And so there's a big difference between these two passages, and I, I hope that clarifies, Janet. On a side note, not related to your question, Janet, uh, you know, this is this passage. But David going to his child eventually, you know, David understood, King David understood he was going to be in heaven. And even if Jesus hasn't physically been born yet, he had hope in the coming Messiah. This is how we know those who came before the time of Jesus Christ, you know, the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they put their faith in the hope of a coming Messiah. They trusted God. This is why Romans tells us that Abraham was declared righteous because of his faith. And today, because Jesus came and died on the cross for those of us who are alive today, he has made a way for those of us who were far off to be reunited back with him and having our sins forgiven through putting our faith in him. Even if this happened before the time of Christ, David understood that he was going to be with his child once again. So, Janet, I hope that makes sense. And I bring that tangent up because, you know, this is an important thing. When uh, we've been doing a couple of funerals lately, it's, it's a hard time here at the church and uh, speaking to lots of people who were going through a lot of pain. In funerals, especially when there's funerals for people who we know have died in faith, putting their faith in Jesus Christ, they are born-again Christians, we give those of us who are alive, we give them the hope of being reunited with their loved ones through faith in Christ. But apart from that, they're not going to see them again. And because David understood that his faith was in God, he would go to see his child. Whenever people are hurting, we want to give them hope. And Rachel's weeping for her children here is indicative of pain and sorrow. And if you are the one that's going through a difficult time or you know somebody that is going through a difficult time, You point them to Jesus. You point them to the Word of God. And if they're not believers, you tell them that this hope that you have as an unbeliever that Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians is the way that we as believers grieve is not the same way as those who have no hope. You can tell them, I want to offer you this hope that Jesus provides. You surrender your life to him by putting faith, your faith, in what he did for you at the cross. And you'll go and be with your loved one again. That is a wonderful opportunity for ministry whenever there are funerals or whenever people are hurting. 
So forgive me for on that tangent. It's just something that's been on my heart lately and dealing with a lot of pain. But there's always hope in Christ. Okay, let's go back to our questions that have been submitted. Uh, The second one is from Arturo. Pastor Ken, can you, there's an exclamation, exclamation mark. That's the way I said it. That's the way I exclaimed it that way. Pastor Ken, can you give me wisdom and possibly break down what this verse means for us today? And can you describe the intention of Solomon when he said this? Here's the verse from Ecclesiastes 12, verse 12. But, my child, let me give you some further advice. Be careful for writing books. Be careful for writing books is endless and much study wears you out. And this is from the NLT that Arturo includes. Arturo, great question. So we want to be careful. Remember this. When you're studying your Bible and you're trying to understand what the practical application is, wherever you are in the Scriptures, you want to understand the context first. And you start off, when you, when you exegete a passage, you start off by understanding what literary style it's being Employed And here, obviously, Solomon, writing Ecclesiastes, is using a poetic language. And even if there isn't uh, poetry, if you will, here used, uh, you want to be careful not to pull doctrine from one particular verse. Now, I love your question, because your question says, can you give me wisdom? And possibly break down what this verse means. So wisdom, I mean, Solomon was one gifted by God to be the wisest. And this is one of the things he wrote, which I think is absolutely a gem. When he says this, but my child, let me give you some further advice. Be careful for writing books is endless and much study wears you out. Solomon is instructing his son, instructing us not to seek wisdom the wisdom of this world, and specifically wisdom that goes beyond the answers that God has already provided. And the way that God has provided answers is through his word. It's through the teaching of his word. And so I think the practical application of this is is really profound. It's important, Arturo especially for those of us that are students of the Bible. You know, some of us, I, and I don't want to include myself in this group, but there's a lot of people who are so smart that they are actually hindering themselves because of their intellect. In, in, they'll overstudy or read into the text when what the, what the Lord wants us to do is simply take the word at face value. And what he's saying here is, look, the world is going to offer you all kinds of wisdom, all kinds of wisdom. And it's, it's wisdom that's going to sound really smart and even true. But Solomon's counsel, Solomon's advice here is to not go beyond the answers that God has already provided through his word. And this is particularly important for those of us who who teach the Bible today, pastors in particular, you know, a lot of people who teach the Bible want to come up with something new. They they want to use you know nuggets that nobody else has said so that they could sound interesting, smart, wise. But the truth is, the Bible says the same thing over and over in different ways. But I love what Pastor Ron always says. If it's new, it's not true. And if it's not true, then it's not new. But And I think that principle uh, is is 
something that we need to keep in mind when it comes to studying God's Word. We don't need to find nuggets. We don't need to find insight that nobody else has has revealed. It's simply you and the Holy Spirit through the, through the reading of His Word and that He speaks to your heart and you understand everything He wants you to know to live a godly life. I love that Peter writes that God has given us everything we need for life and for godliness. So we don't need to seek the wisdom of this world. And this is especially challenging today because, you know, the common thing in today's Western church mindset is to sort of amalgamate or mix the wisdom of the world with the wisdom of God's word. And the, the two simply do not mix. They actually contradict one another. And to Arturo, thank you for your question. Uh, if you're listening to this, Arturo, I, I really want you to pay attention to this because if you study God's word, you don't really need anything else. The, the studying of the other books outside of the Bible is endless. In other words, there's so much out there. You know, Google search results, uh, you know, they'll show you results from a search that show up in a million plus hits or something like that. Uh, but a lot of that probably isn't true. Instead of using the things of this world, stick to God's word, and I'm telling you, he will give you the wisdom that you need. A great practical application there, especially for those of us who are pastors. Uh, there really is no need to to use the things of this world to make your Bible studies more interesting. You just simply teach the Bible and what it says. Okay, we have uh, an from our email inbox, a question from Hugo. Hello, this one's a little bit long. I'll try to read through it pretty quickly here. Last week, you were given a question about idolatry. And he's talking to Pastor Ron, but I'll take the question anyways. I only wanted to remind the audience that there was a hit television show called American Idol, and people are constantly worshiping things, even if they don't specifically bow down to them. Even so, the Bible is full of references to people building tall Asherah poles and bowing down to them. Today isn't any different because we have the same poles, where they are called cell and TV towers. (laughs) And people of all ages are bowing down to mobile devices. Very true. Last week, In preparation for Valentine's Day, a reporter was at a restaurant talking to a manager. Behind them, I could see a couple at the table alone, and the guy kept looking at his phone. Twenty years ago, if a guy did that with a newspaper or a magazine, he probably wouldn't be getting a second date. (laughs) Hugo, thank you for your your question and your, your commentary. We're coming up here on Inside of Three Minutes. And so I'll quickly say something about this and then wrap it up after the break. Uh, so the, we've been going through Second Kings and, on Wednesday nights. And Pastor Ron has been teaching how Israel has been given over or they gave themselves over to idolatry. Time and time again, this is where we read about the Asherah poles. And, and now we're in the section talking about King Josiah. Now, Josiah is one where uh, Pastor Ron's favorite, favorite king, he actually burned down all of these high places, the Asherah poles, uh, the, the statues to Moloch, and all of these, he burned them and crushed them and grinded them into dust, symbolic of dealing forcefully with idolatry. So you're absolutely right, Hugo. You're absolutely right. Now, American Idol... And the other things that we worship, you know, that we want to be careful here. Um, yes, our culture is built on worshiping things, worshiping people, I should say. We look up to certain people, uh, but they're not. Ones who are born again understand that 
These are things that aren't going to draw us closer to the Lord. And so we can't be surprised when the world idolizes the things of this world. That's what they're going to do. It is troublesome, however, when those of us who are born again have the Spirit of God living in us. We find ourselves, maybe even unknowingly, worshiping other things. Now, when you reference to Asherah poles and likening them to the cell towers and the TV towers, I understand what you're saying. A little bit of a stretch because there is no cell towers and TV towers referenced in the Old Testament, but I understand the principle, and you're right. Everybody today, or so many people today, are just unknowingly enslaved to their phones. And the picture that you illustrate here about the Valentine's Day couple is is really symbolic of what we see in restaurants all the, all the time. I'll elaborate a little bit more here after the break. You can hear the music. That means we are done with the first half of the Friday edition of The Word to Stand On for Life. My name is Pastor Ken. We'll be back in two minutes. Back to the Word to Stand On for Life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back to the Friday edition of the Word to Stand On for Life. My name is Pastor Ken Cruzado. I am filling in for Pastor Ron today. Keep him in your prayers. He is at a men's, uh, I'm sorry, at a pastor's conference in Northern California. He'll be there the entire weekend and back here on the radio show Monday afternoon at 4 p.m. In the meantime, we're going to continue with the show here. Let me quickly give you the phone numbers to call in, 210-340-9585, 210-340-9585. The toll-free number is 877 877- Six three zero five seven five seven eight seven seven six three zero five seven five seven. The email address is questions at calvarysa.com. Questions, that's plural, at calvarysa.com. And you can submit questions using our church app, and you can call into the show using the KSLR app. Okay, well, let's go right to our phone lines. Uh, Matthew from Cibolo, you're on the air. Hi, Pastor Ken. How are you doing today? Hi, Matthew. I'm doing well. It's good to hear from you. All right. Awesome. Yeah, I just I really want to tell you I've been truly blessed by your, your teachings in the book of Nehemiah. So uh, um, as I was listening to the one on Monday, I was hoping that maybe you can um, talk more, a little bit more into the Fishers of Men um, segment that you had there, kind of in the middle of your teaching there. And how can we use that in a practical application? I just love your heart. You know, I appreciate that. Oh, thank you, Matthew. God bless you. Um, Yes, I'm enjoying, really enjoying our Monday night study. The men are currently going through uh, Nehemiah. And and to answer your question, Matthew, here, they're in chapter 3. Really, the, the, the crux of the book is where we see the details of the work. And the work that... Nehemiah has been tasked by God to do is this, to leave there the, the king in Susa and to go and rebuild the city of Jerusalem. Specifically, it's the walls and the gates. Now, is, uh, the thing I love about chapter 3 is the way Nehemiah inspects the gates. And so I'm just setting the context here before I answer your question, Matthew. For the radio listeners that aren't familiar, the 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 walls and the gates of Jerusalem are completely destroyed. And Nehemiah leading the third group coming back to rebuild the city, the third and final group, is tasked with something so daunting that it overwhelmed him upon his initial inspection. When he walked around 
the bottom part of the walls or what was the wall remains looking at Jerusalem it's sort of like a an odd shaped rounded rectangle not a rectangle but it's an odd shape where there's a south side and there's a north side and there's an east side and there in chapter 3 Nehemiah by night goes and he, he walks around the, the remains of the walls for the first time and his heart is just broken. His heart is broken. Comes back and he talks to the leaders and nobles and he says, guys, look, we've got a lot of work to do. And so there in Nehemiah chapter 3, Nehemiah goes and he starts the rebuilding process of the walls going through the gates. And starts, starting on the northern side, he begins by starting off uh, at the water gate, and, and then he gets to the fish gate. And this is the answer to your question. I love the fish gate because the fish gate would be the gate that, where it's exactly that, where, where the people would bring in the fish from the stream right outside the city walls. And so it would be a place of commerce a place of high traffic. And since this was a normal staple with the Jewish people, they would bring in the fish, and along with that would be people, where there were lots of conversation. Uh, and what we talked about on Monday night was how the, the fish gate, being a place of high traffic, symbolically representing uh, men, those of us who are born-again Christians, being fishers of men. In the same way they would bring fish in through the fish gate, so too who are born-again Christians today, we, we bring in people through the figurative fish gate, which is Jesus. We bring them in, and obviously, I don't mean we, we force them, but the idea here is that we share our faith with people wherever we are, whatever it is we're doing, even if there's a task at hand, like say in this case it would be for the people bringing in fish. The point, though, is that we're looking at opportunities today to share Jesus Christ. We're constantly being fishers of men. For example, you know, I love how Pastor Ron talks about their, him and Paula's routine of going to their favorite place to eat. And they're always scanning the room and looking at the table next to them, looking at the shirt that they're wearing, looking at the clothes, or, or, or maybe listening to a little part of the conversation. They're looking for an open door to share their faith. Why? Because... They believe, and this is what we teach, God is the one that has handpicked the people to be in our periphery at that moment, at that time, Acts chapter 17, verse 26. And that means, look, when you're at the grocery store and you're in line, it is not a random cause that brought those people there. It's the hand of God moving to bring people around your periphery so that they can hear about Jesus Christ. We don't have to come up with slick ways and, you know, we're not trying to develop sales pitches to sell people something. We just recognize like every person that's around me is one that God has ordained to be right next to me, to be around me at this moment so that they can hear about Jesus. And Matthew, that was what we talked about, about the fish gate. It, even if people would go there, as a place of commerce, the application for us is this. In our place of commerce, whatever it is, in our workplace, or we're at the gas station, or we're dealing with people in the drive through if we're walking with Jesus, we'll recognize that these people are here so that we can redeem the time and share and find a way to share Jesus with them. And, and I love that because, you know, in the building of the walls there in Nehemiah, there was a lot of work. And 
when Nehemiah would task specific families, this is what he was doing, starting off with the priests, task them to be responsible for a particular section, their job was to do their section of the wall and to do it to the best of their ability. And that's what we do. When we go to work, you should be, if you're a born-again Christian, you should recognize that you're there, ordained by God to be a light, and that's why you should be the best employee that your boss wants to use as an example. And that provides an opportunity for people to give ear to the words that you speak. Um, and when you ch- when you think this way, Matthew, it revolutionizes the way you interact with people. And that's what the fish gate uh, means when, from a practical application. It's, it's something that, you know, in our busyness, we, 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 we try to avoid people. We, we want to, you know, earbuds on and, and minding our own business, not recognizing that there are people right next to us that God has allowed maybe for the, this time because they're going through the most difficult time of their life. And he wants us to share Jesus with them. It's a mindset, Matthew, that we want to take with us wherever we go. Uh, that, I think, is, is very important. So, so a long elaboration, Matthew, on the fish gate. But that's one of the things we talked about, which I absolutely love. And a quick side note, if you're interested, on Monday nights we have our men's, women's, and youth studies here at the church, 7 o'clock. Pastor Ron always mentions them on, on Mondays during the radio show. But it's a great time to bring your family because there are studies for everybody. And right now we're currently going through Nehemiah. You're welcome to join us if you're interested. And that's for the men. Okay, let me give you the phone numbers one more time, and then we'll see if we have another question here. 210-340-9585. 210-340-9585. Toll free, 877-630-5757. 877 And then there's an email address, questions at calvarysa.com I have oh I have a question that was called in directly to the the radio show uh, from Thomas explain the application of Zephaniah chapter 3 verses 1 through 3 okay let me read this and then I will talk about it Woe to the city of oppressors, rebellious and defiled. Verse 2, she heeded no voice. She accepted no correction. She does not trust in the Lord. She has not drawn near to her God. Her princes are roaring lions. Her judges are evening wolves, leaving nothing for the morning. I, I love this. I love this book. And so... This, is it Trevor? I think Trevor, thank you. Thomas, I'm sorry. Thomas, thank you for your question. And so this is a a prophecy through the prophet Zephaniah about judgment. It's about judgment. And this is the impending doom, really, of Jerusalem. And so the emphasis here in chapter 3 is the grievances that God is addressing through the prophet Zephaniah, the grievances that God has against his people. And these are a hard-hearted, stubborn people who insisted on doing the opposite of what God had asked them to do. And so as a result, there is pending judgment. And, you know, the practical application, I think, is pretty clear here. But I'll look at it in verse 2 particularly. It says this, She obeys no one, talking about Jerusalem, referring to her as a, a female pronoun. It's talk, not talking about one person. It's talking about the city and the people inside. She obeys no one. She accepts no correction. Now, let me stop there. This is important because the reason why Israel, 
developed such a hard heart towards God and a, a soft heart towards the, the pagan religions of the Canaanite people is because of this. They would not accept the correction of God. And, and correction, or more specifically, your willingness to be corrected is a birthmark of a heart that's right with God. Now, as New Testament Christians, there's an application here. We have the Spirit of God living in us if you're born again. And the Spirit of God, John chapter 14 and John chapter 16, says this, that he convicts us, the Spirit of God convicts us of sin and of righteousness and of judgment, both to an unbelieving world and to those of us who are believers. And to those that receive this correction, they they allow this conviction to do the work that God intends, the proper response to that is to repent. God doesn't correct us just to make us feel bad. He corrects us because he loves us. And here in Zephaniah chapter 3, God is telling the Israelites that because they did not, they would not allow or they would not accept correction, then there's judgment. Today, it's no different. It really is no different. Every single Bible study here, uh, the Holy Spirit is speaking to people's hearts. And like we always do here, we give the opportunity as the Lord has been speaking to them at the end of the study for them to get their heart right with the Lord. Sometimes we'll do it with, uh, you know, raising our hands, giving people an opportunity to raise their hands. Sometimes we'll do it on Sundays. We'll give them the opportunity to walk up to the front so that we could pray for them. But the point is, is that God has been speaking to some people and convicting them of their sin And if they respond positively, they will accept the correction. And this repentance, this is the, this is the accepting of correction. The repentance means it will then turn the other way. Instead of walking away from God, we'll walk towards Him. See, a person that's correctable is one who can be used by God. Even if we mess up, then we sin. As believers, we sin. So we don't want to emphasize being perfect or being sinless. We wanted to, we want to emphasize sinning less often. And that's what will happen when we walk with Jesus. And it really is a testimony to, to God and his patience, his kindness towards Israel, and his kindness and his patience towards us. You know, the way that God pursued Israel for hundreds and hundreds of years is, is so indicative of what he does even today with us. He is patient, but there is a time where his patience has an end. And Jesus is coming soon. And the Bible reminds us that it has been appointed unto man to die once, if Jesus doesn't come back before then. But we die once, and while we're still alive, the time, this is the time for us to choose Jesus, to be born again, to repent of our sin. After that, After that death, there is no second chance. And so, Thomas, I hope that helps. Thank you for your question. Let me go back to this passage because there's something else here in Zephaniah chapter 3 that that I think really speaks to me and maybe it'll help somebody in the audience. This is important. After, in verse 2, same verse actually, it says, She accepts no correction. She does not trust in the Lord and she does not draw near to her God. The truth is that somebody that doesn't want to be corrected is not going to draw near to God. They're going to go further and further away. 
further and further away. Uh, this, this is God's grace and his mercy because, you know, God gives us free will to choose. As much as he loves every single one of us, whether we are his or not, he gives us a free will choice. He's never going to force anybody to repent. But what he will do, because of his love for us, is what he did for Israel. In their insistence to sin, he'll use the consequences of their sin to draw them back to him. And we know that some there in Israel did. But here specifically in verse 2, because of the hardness of their hearts and they would not accept correction. As a result, they do not trust the Lord and they go the opposite direction. This is why Paul the Apostle would write twice in his letter to the Hebrews, today while you can hear his voice, while you can still hear his voice, don't harden your heart. Why? Because when we say no to Jesus, the very next time he calls and speaks to our heart, it's going to be easier to say no to him. And it gets easier every single time. Why? Because our hearts are evil and wicked. And when we say no to him and we resist him, the very next time he calls to us, his voice sounds a little bit lower. Now, he isn't lowering his voice. He's still wooing us to him. But our flesh, it gets deaf ears. We, we stop listening. And so, Thomas, I hope that helps. What a wonderful picture here of, of God's grace. And even if it is sort of a daunting passage that speaks of impending doom for Jerusalem, remember this. God is holy and he is just. And the fact that he's holy means he has to judge sin. If you were to ignore it, if you were to sort of pass a blind eye to Jerusalem's sin or to Israel's sin, then it would mean that he doesn't love them. But because he loves them, they're going to suffer for their choices. And this is the same message we, we share today with people. I was listening to... Uh, I was listening to... Uh, uh, watching a video. I forgot what it was. And, but it was a, a, a pastor interviewing... Uh, speaking with a college student. The college student was really upset with the idea of hell. And the same question brought up that we, we often hear in our conversations with unbelievers, which is this. What, if God was truly loving, why would he send anyone to hell? How is that loving? And the truth is, because God is loving, he lets us have free will. And if a person spends their life here on earth wanting nothing to do with God, distancing themselves from Jesus, it would be cruel. It would be unkind for God to take that person that wanted nothing to do with him while they were alive and force them to be with him for eternity in heaven. And this, wouldn't, this just didn't register with this college student because in their mind, they felt that they were entitled to heaven and that God is unfair and unloving because he, God, would not let people live the way they want to live and then get to enjoy the benefits of heaven. But that's not how it works. God is holy and he is just. And because he is holy, that means he has to judge sin. I wanted to elaborate real quickly on, on what Hugo, or Hugo wrote in. And uh, I think we're inside of, of three minutes here, so I probably don't have enough time to take another call. But Hugo's question was about idolatry. And, 
people bowing down to cell phone towers or, or, or media and devices and things like that. You know, this is so true. I, I don't I'm not surprised when I see the world do this, but it, it really breaks my heart when people spend time on their phone when there's a person in front of them. You know, common courtesy, it's not so common anymore. But common courtesy says, look, if there's a person in front of you, especially if you're a believer, you talk to them, you give them your full attention and put away your phone. And, and, and don't text while you're talking to somebody. It's, 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 like, it's like somebody who wants to text while they're driving. Just because they think they can do that doesn't mean it's okay. <laughs> you know, it, it, you want to put your full attention on the person that's in front of you because, again, like I mentioned earlier, this is a person that God handpicked to be in your periphery so that they can hear about Jesus. And if you are on your phone while this person is in front of you, you're not giving them your full attention, which is unkind, but you're also not able to share with them what Jesus wants you to share. Let me remind you of a couple things here. We've got less than two minutes, so let me quickly remind you. Tonight, it's Friday, so here at Calvary Chapel, Pastor Juan Ortiz is teaching out of Second Timothy. And I'll remind you of something that I reminded the radio show at the beginning And that's this. Tomorrow we have the Ladies Clothing Exchange at 10 o'clock. You're welcome to come. And then we have our annual father-daughter dance at 5 p.m. So if you want to come, come join us here at Calvary Chapel. See you on Monday at 4 o'clock. The Word to Stand On for Life. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.